Uh, right, have we all got notes in front of us and ready to do some podcasting? Yes. As ready as I'll ever be. Good, good, excellent. Hello and welcome back to the Undercut Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jesse Billington, and I'm joined, as always, by the soft tyre to my warm running conditions, Ellie Mae Taylor, and the slick to media to my slightly damp and greasy conditions, Timo Albus Daly. How are you both? I'm good, thank you. I'm excited for two reasons. Obviously, it's good with this week. And there's a documentary about my Favourite driver and car pairing, Nigel Mansell on Red 5. I haven't been able to watch it yet, but I can't wait. There is indeed, yeah, done by Jim Weissman, a fellow I think we've both met, actually. He was doing the organising the live stage at London Classic Car Show. So um, anyway, Timo, how are you? I'm pretty good, thank you. It's, as you say, Goodwood, so exciting to, to get back to that and have a look at some very nice cars. And uh, we had an excellent British Grand Prix, which... Granted, extra low standards for this year for the bar to get over, but Silverstone delivers it as it always does. Yeah. Well, are you coming along to to Goodwood then? You say it, you sound say it like you're coming along. I'll be there in spirit, like I always am to most places. I'm there in spirit. Probably theory. haunting Ellie May, knowing, knowing me. Please don't. Some reasons. I want a good. I want a good. The ethereal spirit of Timo West Daily. I'm trying to like refrain from doing any form of caption on my Instagram or like threads or whatever as what's cooking good wooden. <laughs> I think we'd leave that there before she gets more out of hand. We it's leave. Why I, it's why I never had Twitter because it would just unleash too much madness. And yeah, we've had enough decide- of that the last few weeks from you as it is. And yet you've decided to fire up a, a threads account. Uh, anyway that's not the important news from this week uh we'll dive into that with what the hell has happened and the first thing on our list is a really short little thing um robert schwartzman ferrari reserve driver test and development driver has released his first song under the stage name schwartzy and the song is called active it seems all right i suppose he's got a bit of a musical talent for it but i don't know if it's if it's your sort of talent genre. time in his hands Possibly also the latter. Yeah, they they haven't fully enough put him into their WEC series. They haven't got him racing GT for them, and he hasn't had to fill in for anyone in F1 yet. So, and Eddie Jordan's not approached him to join his band either. No. So, yeah, possibly a lot of time on his hands as well. But yeah, that's some some fun and interesting news to kick off. But also leads us nicely into the world of show business and our second point, which was that Brad Pitt was at the Grand Prix at Silverstone filming with his fictional F1 team. Apex. The cars Brad Pitt and co-star Damson Idris were driving are modified Formula 2 cars dressed up by Mercedes F1 to look like Formula 1 cars. The movie will focus around two racers at different points in their own careers, Brad Pitt playing an aged retired racer, Sonny Hayes, who has been brought back for one last season alongside younger novice Joshua Pierce, played by Damson Idris. Um, both drivers will race for Apex GP, a mid-pack team which is also looking to journey up the grid and find its own success. Silverstone is thought to play a key part in the story given the access that the production crew has had over the British Grand Prix weekend, but filming is also taking place throughout the rest of the 2023 season. What do we think about this? Do we think it's good that Formula One is opening itself up and really giving it a proper shot at having a good F1 movie, a good motorsports movie? I'll tell you after I've watched the film. 
it, well, my concern is, isn't, I know Brad Pitt's coming back after retirement, but still at 59, isn't he a bit old? I know, I know he looks good for his age, and you did have drivers back in, what, the 50s and 60s racing in their 50s. I think Louis Chiron being the oldest at 58, but most of them, I think, were then really sort of like the 52 mark before they retired. And being that old and at F1 has never really been a thing. So if, if you if you've got the right team though, the right midfield team, say say McLaren are not say they're up the top and then they're a bit mid, kind of a little bit in between where they were this weekend and where they have been, and for whatever reason the drivers it just wasn't working for them. Are you saying you wouldn't be a little bit hyped up for a one season show of say like Mark Webber or David Coulthard just getting in there and going, you know what, let's just see what happens? Would that not be a bit of fun? Because you know they'd be capable of it. So if we assume that Brad Pitt character has had a long decent career and everyone up to that point it's Lund- it's it's got a fun dynamic to it especially with the young gun there with the inter-team dynamics you can see what and also and this is the key part it's it's not real so it, it works they're trying to be real though aren't they and yes and they can be real with everything else but you need that bit of hollywood don't you and why not have that underdog not underdog story with the younger teammate dynamics there going on for competitiveness and they'll probably argue a little bit and then be friends by the end but you'll enjoy the ride and you won't really care that brad pitt's a bit older he's five years younger than martin brundle i think and would you not love to see martin brundle say fuck it let me in that f1 car and let's see what i can do and just take on max it means he's not imagine fumbling if he interviews with, if it means he's not fumbling interviews with Cara Delevingne, I think it would be. A you leave Brundle alone. We'll get. To I will get to that later. Um, but yeah, I, I one Brad Pitt looks surprisingly good for fifty nine. If I get to fifty nine, I'm looking like that. Or um, if you get to fifty nine, for stuff is how that was sounding for a second. <laughs> yeah, if I get to fifty nine, and if I get to fifty nine, looking like that, I'll be damned happy with life. Um, and we'll be surprised because how the fuck have you turned out looking like Brad Pitt? Uh, younger Brad Pitt had plenty of hair. That's all I'm saying. Um, I had a point that I was going to work with this one. He, he does still. He, he's really sort of rocking that very noughties Brad Pitt look. Um, I was going somewhere with this point and I've completely forgotten what it was. <laughs> um, that was it. Obviously, oh, well, never mind. Got another motorsports film on the way out, though, haven't we? Which is the one that's based around GT racing off of, not Forza, what's the other um, games console one? Um, that's got what's his face from Pirates of the Caribbean Gran Turismo. In it. Gran Turismo. That's the one. I didn't care that much that it took me ages to think of this simple term of Gran Turismo. <laughs> yeah, so we've sort of got two motorsports. It'd be films. better than that, you reckon? Easily. Okay. Curious. Gran Turismo looks crap. I might even have to get Apple Cinema at this point, or Apple TV, or whatever it is to. To watch this film when it does, I think come they out. just put those ones in the cinema if they've got a big enough release. This so is might true. Be right. Sometimes they do, or sometimes they pair it up with like Sky Cinema or something. It will be an interesting one for certain. I think it's good. That it'll probably be a new one... thing if you press a button at a specific time on Sky Q or Sky Glass, you'll be able to access it for thirty seconds at a time from any angle of one. No, of the you can you can watch it alongside the the T cam of a driver of your choosing. I think is is the way they're going to do it. You as long ex- as the car camera is looking behind the driver, not in front, so you're just kind of riding along in the back. Yeah, it'll be weird. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see how F1 finally gets the chance to portray itself in a modern light as well. I think the last big Formula One film we saw would have been Rush, Rush. which was set in the 70s. So this is a very sort of interesting chance for Formula One to portray its modern self on the big screen. And 
You been... say that though. There has been more recent fictional F one kind of film TV series. If you think about it, uh, well, Drive to Survive, obviously, yeah. But <laughs> in terms of fiction, yeah, it's Drive to Survive certainly in terms of fiction. Yeah, um, we won't dive down that too far in case any of us end up with a job in that sort of field. Um, we'll move <laughs> on. Despite statements from Helmut Marco, who has an interesting reputation when it comes to hearsay around the paddock. That's not um, what I thought he was going to say. No. Uh, Daniel Ricardo is set to replace Nick DeVries at the summer break at Alpha Tauri. How we sort of seem to mention this pretty much every week as the rumor mill churns out something new. Either Helmut Marco saying it's not going to happen, the rumor mill says it will. Christian Horner says that they aren't happy about the performance of Nick DeVries. Then they say that they're not. Can swapping we, can we just wait season. for news at this point? <laughs> so not saying anything new. Oh, go on. This is about as fun as speculating which BBC presenter may or may not be announced this week. Well, it turns out none of them this week. Apparently so, yeah. It's totally the latest news. I going back to F1. <laughs> um I think the most interesting thing to come out of it recently was that Helmut Marco wanted Nick de Vries and Christian Horner didn't. And it's the first driver that they've disagreed about having on a team. So I'm wondering whether it was always sort of a bit of a poison chalice about Nick joining. He didn't always have that support behind him. It's quite amusing to think that they agreed on a bunch of other drivers that they've had at Red Bull, considering how quickly they've cycled through a lot of the drivers at Red Bull. And yet the one that they disagree on and Marco fights for is in the sister team, which is doing particularly bad this year, where there's potentially less consequences for it. It's just interesting which ones they have agreed and in this case, not agreed on. But it's the other aspect of it is that yeah, it's not only the ones they've agreed on, but how much of a say does Christian Horner have over a team that's not his to team principal? This is Alpha Tauri. This is essentially a completely separate team that just well, seems to be very closely aligned, or, yeah. or to depending on how you read the situation or who you speak to about it. So, what's Christian Horner doing picking drivers for a team that's not Red Bull? Is the is I, the is the big question here? I guess it's because. Naturally, it should be that the um, Alpha Tauri, or whatever they're going to be named, uh, should naturally progress up to Red Bull. So I guess he's looking at what his next driver lineup is. Yeah, but that that's one side of it. But they're always constantly saying, oh, no, it's not a feeder series or a feeder team to the main one. And then every year it gets to the point where you look at it and go, well, no, it clearly is. It's A, not well, yes, a car. That's and kind of one of those awful non-secrets of F1 kind of thing so it's kind of just assumed that we just won't say it out loud but everyone knows that's the case and we'll deny it but it's kind of nudge nudge wink wink so it's, if you believe that things, it's on you really it's one of those things about Red Bull is the fact that they love to have so many different pots of their own creation going at once that they can keep them all stirring and you never know which one's actually going to be served and which one's true it's a bit bonkers. Um, we'll move on from some possible hearsay from the paddock to some good news from the paddock, which is that Jenny Gow was back working with BBC Radio 5 Live this weekend. She was back on the Checker Flow podcast. She had a fantastic interview with Lewis Hamilton ahead of the Grand Prix weekend. If you've got access to BBC, wherever you are around the world, pull it up, have a listen to it. It's absolutely fantastic to have Jenny Gow back and see the recovery that she, or hear the recovery rather, that she's making. And the sort of the the welcomeness that she felt from the team at the sort of checker flag was fantastic and we like to see it. Yeah, it's it's lovely. I mean, for those who don't know, she she suffered a stroke uh, late last year and she's now having to relearn to talk again. But I think it's lovely how 
sort of the BBC and F1 have been sort of behind her, letting her come like slowly come back into the role that she so dearly loves. And that's obviously then going to help with her progression as she then goes along. And um, I think as well, she's going to attend the Dutch Grand Prix in a working capacity of, I, I think she's maybe sort of shadowing Rosanna Tennant, who's currently sort of filling in for her role. But no, I think it's lovely that it's sort of, they've welcomed her back with a warm embrace, I guess. Yeah, she said at the moment that she's suffering severely from, it's called aphasia, which is um, the way that sort of it affects your ability to communicate and the way that you write and also understand um, words. So it's sort of most easily recognised as this ability to forget words or not really be able to piece together a sentence very quickly on the fly. So in an interview case where she was sort of, had pre-written questions and equally with someone she's interviewed before, I think it was a very nice and easy way to sort of bring her back into sort of what has always long been her field and something that's very much been something somewhere she's stood at the forefront of. Obviously, we've had her as a talking head in Drive to Survive. She's a fantastic presenter when it comes to the BBC. I think it's nice to see they've had this very sort of appropriately metered way to sort of reintroduce her back to it and allow her to get back up to sort of race fitness essentially in in her job so obviously with jenny gal back at not necessarily at the helm but certainly back at the checker flag podcast it was time to kick on with the weekend and before we really delve into it we obviously had practice and we had a lot of teams unveiling upgrades red bull didn't bring any upgrades as such but they did utilize the low brake demand of silverstone to run narrower inlet and exit areas on their brake ducts mercedes meanwhile ran a reprofiled end plate and top element to their front wing hoping to extract a little more downforce and clean up the sort of wind profile down the sides of the cars which is quite interesting alpine meanwhile ran new front wing plane and better designed for low speed corner performance without compromising high speed which might be something that actually comes to fruition come hungry which is a lot more of a slower circuit but equally silverstone does have a few tight and slow turns where it would have been utilized had they had a bit more running uh, lando norris and mclaren received part two of his upgrades run while piastri caught up with the tweaks so obviously one is now currently a stage behind the other lando norris's were more circuit specific tweaks and sort of honing adjustments to the mclaren but they clearly worked crucially uh, knew this race for them was a front wing and nose assembly revised rear brake ducts and a new shroud around the rear toe link to clean up the air heading towards the diffuser Alpha Romeo brought along a new floor and diffuser as well as revised rear brake ducts, suspension shrouds to optimise the air coming off that floor. Aston Martin, like many others, brought new brake ducts, but also packaged up a new front wing for the AMR23. And we thought this might be something to bring them back into the competition, but the end results on Sunday proved otherwise to a certain extent. Haas have a new floor inlet, so the throat section of the floor right under the nose cone, uh, fed by some updated front suspension shrouding as well. At the rear, a new lower element for the beam wing also fitted out their package alpha tauri meanwhile had a huge round of upgrades from the floor body edges and diffusers all new along with a widened body section which works to tamp the front wheel weight losses and equally allows the floor to work better their rear wing has a new central section with relocated loads now sort of spreading it out towards the sort of or inwards really from the outboard structure and Williams simply turned up with lower drag front and rear wings, which obviously for them is very much their speciality move is simply go no downforce, high speed. So it's interesting to see what teams... It does seem to work work. quite well for them though, because they kind of do the smallest of things and boom, and you're like... Car becomes a rocket ship. You don't need much, do you? It's just have a good driver or two in there. 
do a little bit of work, and Bob's your uncle. You're faster than a Ferrari, two Ferraris, mm. which just is mad. Mad. It's sort of like going back to the 80s, 90s, 90s. When, yeah, when Williams was faster than Ferraris and was fighting against McLarens. It's kind of a bit of a, a nuts period. But yeah, obviously that Williams upgrade really seemed to sort of drive home exactly what they're working towards. And it does feel like the team is finally starting to get its feet back together and put together competent packages for race weekends. So nothing much to report from FP1, apart from Albon, who um, was around sort of half a second from Verstappen, letting him P3. The Mercedes seemed to struggle early on, but didn't soft run either through one of the practice sessions. So it was quite interesting from there. Moving into qualifying. It was, it was interesting with the practice. I just want to say that with Mercedes, you saying seems to struggle on. From the impression they were giving as well, it was like, oh, we're just doing something slightly different, but with the implication that we'll be back on form later, which you see teams occasionally do that. Of like, yeah, don't worry, we, it's not something mad that's happened there. We're just doing something different because we want to just see on something. But then they never really got going for the majority until Sunday, really. And even then, it was kind of just the drivers being able to maximise the potential out of the car. So it was a very odd kind of... Very odd thing. sort of... Seriously, when they've been doing better lately, it was like, oh, okay, we thought Austria was maybe a blip, but maybe it's the far nature kind of of the tracks, and maybe next time with Budapest, it's slightly slower in places, it's not as high speed. So it's it was a curious one, it was very interesting. I think they're still very much learning about their car and how it performs, but I guess at the end of the day. The most important thing is that it performs on Sunday, and at the minute it is. Yeah, yeah. It's just really odd how it goes from mm, to ooh podium and nearer podium. Like, but how? I don't get how you're lagging Has... so far in this massive jump. Has have the same thing, but in reverse. They seem to be able to perform yeah. quite strongly on a Saturday, especially with Nico Hulkenberg in the car, and then come a Sunday, the car just has nothing. It's reverse. Yeah. So it's it's very interesting. We'll move on to qualifying and Perez and Albon are now tied on qualifying results. I think that's the big headline to really walk away from that one with. That in, in what terms? In terms of um, Albon has outscored Perez as many times as Perez has outscored Albon. Okay. Well, that is definitely concerning if you're Perez then. Yeah. And obviously one of those drivers is in a Red Bull and one of them is a driver that was kicked out of the Red Bull, did a year in DTM, coached Juki Snowder and then rocked up at Williams and went, ah, I guess I'll do this. And, and it was the guy who replaced him at Red Bull. Yeah. So I think if you're Albon, grandiose amounts of big dick energy. If you're Perez, watch out for his big dick energy because it's coming for you. Yeah. There was an interesting statement from, I want to say it was Helmut Marko saying, yeah, yeah, um, it's unfortunate for Albon. He's got such a long contract with that Williams. And you're like, oh, how the turntables have turned. (laughs) (laughs) You did what to your driver and then want him back? Danny Rick 2.0? That's all I'm saying. Drivers have done. Albon 2026. There you go. Drivers have sort of done, not better, but they're sort of like, they've done less than what. Perez have done and have been kicked out. I think if Pierre Gasly or Alex Albon were getting Q3s, what, five times five times in a row now? Four times in a row? Yeah. Five, yeah. Or not making Q3 five times in a row. Yeah. Not make, yeah, sorry, exiting Q1. Get into Q3 five times, out you go. <laughs> well, yeah, getting into Q3 only five times, out you go, really. Yeah, because we've had when you're, when you're yeah. Either way that you look at it, it's 
And so everyone's saying about De Vries going before the summer break. And it's like, has Red Bull forgotten what they usually like the drivers in summer breaks? Mm. There's there's certainly some questions to be asked of it. And I think part of it is, is certainly a testament to Alex's performance in that Williams. I don't think all of this can be put down to Perez doing badly. But crucially, I think Red Bull are under no rush to try and swap him around. Because if you ignore Perez's points from the standings, Red Bull still lead the constructor standings. Max Verstappen's oh, yeah. constructor kind of is that nice dominant. Headache to have because they've got the massive gap to Max, so they know Max isn't going to complain. They're winning the constructors by a country mile, so it's like we're not losing anything, but also it just seems weird that they're not wanting more out of it, even because you think you're dominating. Surely you want to dominate, dominate more. in capital letters. So, I, I think the saving grace for Perez is that Nick DeFries is doing worse. Yeah. So energy is going more on him than it is on Perez. I, maybe, maybe Perez will get demoted to APX and Brad Pitt will get promoted up to Red Bull for the second half of the season. That would be interesting. I should point out that Brad Pitt and what's it um, weren't actually driving the cars all the time. They do have stunt drivers that are doing a lot of the track work. They occasionally go I don't need you to mess with the movie stuff. magic here, Jesse. Get the book. Um, but back to the back to the Perez argument. When you start comparing teams at their peak of dominance and their second drivers, it's worth remembering that I think I'm correct in saying Valtteri Bottas, when he was at Mercedes, had a 100% Q3 appearance record. He might not have always been at the top end of it, but he was always in Q3, always there to... It wasn't until Alpha that he... Really started dropping off, yeah. He was always there to give Hamilton a toe if he needed it. He was always there in Q3, always able to back up his teammate. Whereas with Perez, we've not seen that level of consistency. And when you're looking it's, for that... It's a weird Perez strategy. It's like, oh, you're not going to help me out? Well, I'm not going to help Max out, and I'm going to do really badly. Max is like, okay, I'll just do it myself then. And you're like, oh, yeah, that didn't work. It's very yeah. much the Thanos, fine, I'll do it myself. But fading massively. Yeah. And all he's going to do is snap Perez out of existence. Um, it's it's yeah. a good thing that, that Red Bull are sort of in a league of their own at the minute for Perez and that they're not fighting for a championship and this is them putting them in second place or something like that. You know, they're sort of at the minute. It's not Stroll Alonso. No. No. It's not cost them a position in the constructor standings. But wasn't it something like um, a Red Bull hasn't done that badly in qualifying since David Coulthard in 2008? Yes, yeah, I definitely recall David talking about that at one point in time and being like, yeah, I was the last Red Bull driver to do that badly and that Red Bull was a pig. Like it was a barely developed Jaguar at that point. So it's... So there was a reason for it back then. Yeah, these days yeah. it's it's an actual rocket ship and Perez is a good driver. There is no reason he should be performing this badly. I think what we have seen is the Red Bulls developed a little by little over the season. Unfortunately, it's developed away from a natural balance that Perez liked. It's definitely become much There's more... There's still such a massive gap and difference between them after all that. It's not like Perez can't adapt either. No, you and you'd expect him to be able to adapt, but he just hasn't, which is... Is that, is that car then going to get further away from him as they tweak it more to max? Because understandably, if you're going to develop a car, you're going to develop it more towards Max's style because he's doing so well compared to Perez. Probably. Yes, because you're also going to develop it further for next year towards the driver that's still going to be there. Yeah. 
And again, that's going to be more towards Max. Danny was able to drive a Max setup car as well, I think, is the advantage. So possibly they're looking at that for the future. Obviously, Danny's got a hand in a bit of development and testing here and there, which is ultimately going to further things in his favour, possibly for next year or at least a year after that. And at the end of the day, Red Bull might as well sit down and go, right, we're obviously going to win drivers. We're obviously going to win constructors. We might as well look at trying to get 19... Well, how how many races have we got this season? 22 races in total, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Ignoring, obviously, um, Imola being rained off. Max has only not won two of those, and he was on the podium for them at least. So you might as well focus on getting that drive Max to win the remaining 17 races out of a, the season or so. Or how I now want them to employ the AlphaTauri theory we talked about a little while back now with three drivers, and you have Perez in for a little bit. You've had him now, so then after the break, you stick Lawson in for a few rounds, and then you stick Ricardo in for a few rounds, and then you're kind of, and maybe Yuki for a couple of rounds just for the sake of it, because it'll make no difference to the overall standings anyway. And then you've got a perfect idea of who you want in that second seat for next year. And Yuki's had a chance in the Red Bull so that he then knows if he's staying in Alfa or if he's going off to IndyCar with Perez. I think it'd be worth, yeah, getting Max to the point where he, I think he statistically can win the championship at Zandvoort. And then you simply get him to sit down. And obviously... I'm not saying you have to get him out of the car. No, but if you did, you could then have... If you did, you could then have the direct competitor between all your number two drivers. You'd simply cycle Yeah, but I don't think Max will go for that. He's got nothing to lose at that point. No, but I still think he'd rather be there. Even if he is finding it a little bit boring. Yeah. Anyway, when you well, saw Brazil, for example, last year, even when it doesn't matter, he's still willing to just be unreasonably angry about stuff that doesn't matter. Mm. So he's still going to want to be there. Because even at Silverstone, he was obviously miles ahead, was watching the race on the big screens as he was going around, and he saw Ferrari pit, got on the radio, and went, "Are we going to pit?" And they went, "Nah, we'll just continue doing our own thing." If Ferrari's pitted, chances are we're not supposed to be pitting. <laughs> I'm not worried about them. They're not our race. We don't even know who they are. Yeah. Speaking of people who really should have pitted, uh, Valtteri Bottas ran out of fuel uh, just after Q1, ended up stranded out on track when the entire car shut down on him after completing his final lap. Um, He had set a time to progress into Q2, but then simply ran out of fuel, which meant that he was also unable to provide a fuel sample to the FIA and refueling is not allowed during a session. So he couldn't return to the action. And with no sample provided, he was disqualified from qualifying. So he started the Grand Prix from the back of the grid, which was certainly very interesting and a bit of a cock up from Alfa Romeo. And they're very much slipping off the off the grip of formerly being a fairly decent team. They don't care anymore. They're just waiting to become Audi. That's all they're doing. It it really feels like they've just given up trying, which I think is a bit of a shame. It's annoying because it he is. did too badly in qualifying. He got into Q2, wasn't it? So mm. <laughs> And equally, they're giving up trying when they've got Joe in that seat, a driver who's genuinely performing quite well compared to the equipment he's been given. I feel it's a bit unfair on him to all of a sudden have a team start packing up around him. That's... It feels harsh, considering he's got something he'd genuinely prove here with not only the record of being the first Chinese driver in Formula One, but equally someone who's very good and by all means sort of should have a bit of recognition to his name. So it's unfortunate in that regard. Um, Speaking of teams doing interesting things compared to their 
previous. Uh, both Williams had a good time of things on Saturday with Logan and Alex, both in the top 10 for FP3. Alex then in the top three through all practices, topping out P2 and FP3, and Logan an admirable P7. Come qualifying, Albon did enough to line up P8 on the grid. And while Logan bagged his best qualifying yet with a P14. So some surprising things from the Williams and fantastic to see. I think at one point it looked like both Williams are going to be out early when we sort of had a bit of drizzle in Q1 and it looked like they were basically it didn't have a good enough bank collapse to move through but then there was a sort of brief period where it dried out and they were able to get out and get through and things are turning around for Williams it seems we've already mentioned this with their upgrades and I know we'll certainly come back to it later because we've all got sort of interesting drivers picked for our winners and spinners so we'll talk about them a bit more in the future but the big talk in qualifying was around the McLarens where both drivers were on fine form regularly topping the timing sheets and went on to bag P2 and P3 Norris starting next to Verstappen with Piastri just behind is this a flash in the pan or are McLaren upgrades taking the car in the right direction do we think Never doubt Mika Hakkinen. <clears throat> he did say way back at the start of the season, they're going to be slow, but then they're going to pick up pace and they're going to be the team to challenge Red Bull. And when you look at the pace that both McLarens were able to keep against Verstappen in that opening stint of the race, they were within 0.2 of a second pretty much every single lap, either drifting back by 0.2 of a second or matching Max's pace. Like it was phenomenal. So I'm not, I've got nothing against Norris, but you've got to be more impressed with Piastri just because Norris, he's been around a little bit now. You kind of expect it to happen when he's got a good kind of lead than Piastri. It's his 10th race. <laughs> and he's just, we're annoyed he didn't get a podium. And you're like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> when you go back a couple of weeks and think, hang on, again, what? <laughs> what is happening? When this season uh, I still started. think... It's going to be one of those things where, like I said last week after Austria, I'm going to wait until after Spa because we've had two tracks, like I was saying earlier, where you've kind of got very fast natures about them and they're similar in some respects. Whereas Budapest, that'll be an interesting test of it. And Spa, you've got some very fast, it's very fast, but in different ways, I think. And that will be, and again, whether it potentially comes to play a lot more of both of those. So that'll be interesting to see. But it's looking good. If it's a dry Question. spa, I have high hopes for McLaren. Norris said that the car is, re- is it's not the best setup he could have felt it would have been for high-speed corners, but he said it felt a lot more comfortable than it has been at any point this season. And he knows he's good through high-speed corners, which is most of what spa is. When you look at obviously going down through Radion uh, Rouge up onto the Camel Strait, big high-speed corners. When you look at everything coming out the back of it, basically from Lacombe all the way down to the bus stop chicane, it's all big, relatively high-speed corners. That McLaren could be one to watch coming ahead into Spa, certainly. And they obviously rejigged their side pods. They've gone for a slightly more Red Bullish design, and it seems to be paying off. And that's very much shown in the fact that as soon as Piastri got those upgrades, he was able to prove that there's a reason that he rocketed through F3, F2 and into F1 and very much is a driver to keep an eye on. He is a driver that's good and was a wise pick to be fought over. Did you also both see, by the way, post-race, Piastri being interviewed in this in the pen and being told Alpine have just, uh, McLaren have just overtaken Alpine 
And Fernando Alonso just standing in the background with a massive grin on his face. Just like, you two, what are you even up to? There was, because obviously they were in touch with each other pre all the seat swapping and stuff. Like Alonso loves stirring up the pot. And I think he was stood there with a big shit eating grin going, I love this. Um, but at the same time, Piastri's reaction was, it was calm, collected, very much the same sort of wry grin when that um, jet person fell out of the sky in Austria. It was very much that sort of, yeah, that's kind of funny. Um, he's, nothing seems to sort of get any reaction from him. I love it. He's so cool and underplayed. And so Mark Webber was saying on Channel 4, he's not quite Kimi-esque, but he's kind of similar in that respect. He's, like, yeah. he's just cool, calm and collected and just gets on with it. Just a really chill dude to the point that he was sat chatting with Lando Norris's grandparents in the garage ahead mm. of the race. Just a nice guy. Essentially, him and Bottas have swapped personalities of what you think they should be for each nation. So sort of Bottas has taken the Australian personality. So Piastri's like, okay, well, I'll take the Finn personality. But as well, this we're also now going more into circuits that the rookies have now driven as well in the past whilst at the start it was very much street circuits that they haven't really been on so this should hopefully sort of play more into Piastri's hands as well and hopefully maybe the other two as well so yeah, we don't have a race that they've not been to until Singapore I think everything else they've done before at least once mm. so that will be very interesting to see we'll shuffle on into Sunday and the race Max wins ahead of Lando Norris in P2 and Lewis Hamilton in P3 a safety car pit stop didn't do Piastri any favours and he struggled to get the softs uh, the hards um, switched on which really uh, put the pressure on him and Lando however there was just enough left in the race for the softs to begin to fall apart a little and the hard tyre choice came good I reckon if we'd had a slightly shorter safety car period if we'd gone full safety car instead of a VSC because who looks at a slightly on fire has parked down the Wellington Strait and goes, ah, we can tell you that with a VSC. Um, I did like that. It was quite amusing in terms of if I wasn't so annoyed at this, I'd find it funny. Yeah, I like the optimism from the um, stewards there. But had the race had like a slightly longer final section to it, I reckon probably Hamilton would have fallen back and I reckon we could have seen Piastri make a move on Hamilton. I'm not entirely convinced we would have seen Norris get Verstappen. It might well have happened if we had enough laps for those softs on Verstappen to really fade away, but those hards proved to be the right choice because towards the end, they were suddenly both closing in on the drivers ahead of them. So fantastic strategy really from McLaren. It was a big, bold call, but they pulled it off. And I think they also knew that they could get their drivers to work with it which I think shows a good cohesion in the team it's also a thing of they really didn't have anything to lose because they probably expected it for us to work but maybe not quite as well as they did so it's like well definitely risk it for a biscuit I think because it. your alternative is still probably our best result we've got in all season hmm. I guess as well they were on brand new hards whilst the Mercedes were on the used softs so perhaps the grip of the softs wasn't actually that great and that's why they were able to sort of hold them off. They were really hoping that those softs that uh, they were sort of slapping on the Mercedes and the Red Bull hadn't been heat cycled too aggressively. I think Mercedes were using a lot of data that George had provided. He'd run for ages on those softs at the start of the race with a fantastic pace, which is really a testament to how gentle Mercedes is on its tyres. But perhaps it could be a bit more of a demanding chassis to work the tyres a bit harder and get some more pace. But at the end of the day, 
it didn't quite get those tyres to last long enough or it lost, got them to last just long enough to stop Piastri coming back at Hamilton, but it was close towards the end. Uh, Perez ran a decent race, reclaiming some places after a poor qualifying. Albon, though, fought well and had a far better race than anyone expected. Uh, he had enough straight line speed to hold off attacking cars and Logan Sargent bagged his best result in his career too, with Monza not that far off. I reckon we could see a double Williams points there. Albon drove incredibly and despite not really fitting in the car the seat and the cockpit design actually chafes at his shoulder blades where he's slightly too tall and it means each session leaves him sort of bleeding along the shoulder blades it looks pretty gnarly I think George Russell spun around and showed it off to the cameras after quali but there's a determination coming out of this Williams team at the moment and I love to see it um, I did have one more thing. Obviously, we did see some fantastic on-track action from Albon. There was a brilliant move, very much reminiscent of last year's Through Goes Hamilton, where we saw, was it? He's been uh, re-watching that clip. Yeah, it was... It was, was Perez it? as well this time. It, yeah, there was Perez in there somehow, Alonso, I think the two Ferraris as well. It was like yeah, a, it, was, it was essentially last year, but swap Hamilton out for Albon and add a couple of other people. Yeah, just a big gaggle of cars. And Albon thought, nah, screw this, just dives through the middle of it, comes out and it knows such a nice gone. move, though. It's so smooth, just absolutely sets it up on the brakes and away he goes. It was superb and really gives a lot I just of... I love the idea of the Ferraris and Esteban just looking in the mirror saying, oh, it's just two Williams, it's fine. And wait a minute, how did that happen? We're smarter than this. <laughs> Where did he go? Um, Ferrari, though, yeah, had a bit of a dismal time, scoring less as a team than Alex Albon did. A battle between their drivers, uh, coupled with a slightly dropped ball in qualifying, not really prioritising sites when he was fastest, was a big blow. For a team that started out second best at the beginning of the season, they were about fifth fastest this weekend, behind a Williams. And oh. very nearly two Williams. Yeah, like... One of which is rookie, and they're not exactly new drivers themselves in the Ferrari. Yeah, I, again, this is so. Much, all of this is really a testament to Sargent how far along he's come in this season. Piastri came in very much as a wunderkind, the sort of the kid that could do no wrong. Sargent was fighting for the chance to have an F1. It was, was the Joe of this year, really. Yeah. Why have we put you in that car? He he wasn't actually going to be in the car until he got enough got points in the feature yeah. race in Abu Dhabi. He was such a sort of far out option and is starting to prove good, which I like to see. I like to see there's always been some good driver development at Williams to really coach him through. I think Alex has been working with him to try and bring out the best in him, which we love to see. Alex is a great guy and has proven he's a good coach when we see the work he's done with Yuki. And we're seeing that again with Logan. And as the car develops, that's going to be an interesting one to keep an eye on. Alpine... Uh one positive for Ferrari and that's just the one in the, um I can't remember who we were on board with whether it was Sainz or Leclerc going through Maggots Beckett's chapel the car was turning really nicely it was quite smooth and considering at the start of the season it was a very twitchy car that was pretty unstable despite it sort of being a poor race I could take a positive away from it in that they ha they could have they had the trust to go through the high speed corners and it actually move how it how they want it to move. They've definitely developed so your, your a positive platform. Is yeah, Ferrari, the oldest team in F one, who literally just make fast cars, were able to finally get their fast car to go at high speed through a tricky section properly. Yeah, I'm not saying it can't be a positive. I'm just saying, Jesus well, Christ. Just we're just comparing to how it was at the start of the season, it being so twitchy. It was down. Yeah, through the faster sections of. I just wish there was a better positive. 
because that be should great. have been a problem for them in the first place. But that's a lot of things with Ferrari. It'd be great if there was a better positive. But yeah, when you look at how snappy it was through the faster sections of Bahrain, that sort of top section over to sort of the tail end of the circuit as you go into sector three, it was a very fidgety car. And yeah, like you said, going through Maggots, Beckett's Chapel, even sort of clocking into it through Cops, that car did look a lot more stable. I'd definitely say you've got, you've got an interesting point there, and one that I would have certainly missed. Um, Alpine had a weekend to forget, Ocon retiring early with a hydraulic leak, and then Gasly suffering damage at the hands of Lance Stroll. Can he just not drive that Aston Martin? Is it a car that's beyond his No, talents? it's a rookie mistake. If that was Sergeant or Joe or Piastri, fair enough, you're new to it. He's been in the sport for how long now and he just knows he's not going to get reprimanded for doing anything and he just can't drive for shit. Get him off. And Getting I, with your Norgus stroll now because you just think you've got a half-decent car and you? you've proven yourself to be all right at times. You've got some all right results. Why are you forgetting how to drive all of a sudden at a track you've been to a lot? I can't wait to see um, Dragovic do some FP1 tests for them because I think it's again going to show what we found at the beginning of the year is that possibly... And like I said, Alonso slowing down just a little bit just to help him out a bit, just to get ahead of him, just like, oh, I just he just must have been better than me in that session. I don't know what happened. Yeah, there's, there's certainly something to prove with Dragovic coming in for an FP1 session because Alonso's pretty much mopping up points every week. He's not actually finished outside the points, Alonso. Meanwhile, Stroll is sort of struggling to get into the points in the same car. This is a car that Alonso was getting podiums with early on, and now... Uh... So isn't the point difference between um, those two the second biggest gap after Perez and Max? Between teammates, I'd have to check, yeah. but I wouldn't be surprised if that's very much a sort of veracity statement, yeah. Haas had a flat weekend, uh, but they did manage to spice up the race, actually, with K-Mag's engine failure going with a belch of flame. We've already mentioned that as he retired under the Wellington Bridge. He's um, not having a good season, is he? It's not a great season, but it does make Nico Hulkenberg look pretty tidy. I have Doesn't a need th- K-Mag's help to do that. Go on, sorry, Dimo. I have a theory. Uh-oh. That Kevin Magnussen has a special button on his steering wheel that detonates his engine. Because whenever a race seems to get boring, Kevin's Kevin's engine just gives up and it adds a bit of spice to the race. It's happened a few times now. You've got Monza 2020, definitely, which has led me sort of to the conclusion that the drivers nowadays, they have time to look around uh, at the big screens. So whilst he's going around, he must see the see the sort of the race going on thinking. This race is stalling a bit. It's going a bit, it's been a bit boring. Let's add a bit of spice. Press it doesn't help him though. Well, he's not in it to win it. He's in it to enjoy it. Are you saying that Kevin Magnuson, it, are you saying that Kevin Magnuson drives around with Harry Benjamin on the sort of BBC Five Live commentary in his ear? And then when he thinks it's getting a bit dull, when Harry Benjamin starts to wander with the commentary, he goes, uh, it's the SPC button on the steering wheel. The engine just goes into a million pieces. He literally just presses a button and the engine goes kapow. And then we have a bit of spice. I'd I'd say, Jesse, that I'd leave Harry Benjamin alone there because he's probably got quite nice commentary. I've not listened to it in a while, but he probably enjoys that more. It's probably someone he dislikes a bit on commentary. Like, I've had enough of this. Time to blow up my car because it's preferable. There's nothing wrong with Harry Benjamin's commentary, (laughs) but when the race gets boring, commentators across the board just sort of look at other things. He listened to Crofty for five minutes too long and he just thought this would be more interesting. There we go. Possibly possibly that. I like Harry Benjamin. He's a great guy. I keep bumping into him at events. I'll probably see him at Festival of Speed this weekend as well, actually. Um, 
Anyway, Haas out the way. We'll move on to Alfa Romeo, who had another Alfa Romeo weekend. A bit of they, blair, they were really. there in the race as well. That's a bit they they attended Silverstone. They they did the laps. Um, we've already asked the big question that I've got noted after this, which is: Have Alfa Romeo checked out of this season? And the answer overwhelmingly seems to be yes. Well, the kind of question: Did they check in? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Did they check into the season? I do not believe they did. Um, Still waiting. Do you, do you think they just miss Kimmy so much that they sort of have just taken on his personality that it is now just a hobby for them? Yeah, this is the hobby team. That, that would make probably a bit Kraft would probably make a quicker car, though. Yeah. I wonder if you could do that, like make a car with all bits you can get in Hobbycraft. Um, Alpha Tauri, the other Alpha Tauri, are really, though, the big losers out of this. They flooded their car with upgrades this weekend and were miles off the pace and plumb last. The real question is, though, will they pick up this season? No. Next. Okay. I really don't know. I was, I was thinking today, do you think it hinders them that some of their team are in Italy and some of them are in England? Do you think they need to be sort of one cohesive team? Actually, we discussed this before a bit with you, didn't we? And you were making that case for putting them all in, in one country, weren't you? Or am I thinking of someone else? Um, I don't know. I remember we had sort of the uh, talk where I was saying it's harder for Ferrari or perhaps harder for Ferrari to get different personnel because they live in, they're in Italy, whilst, you know, all the other teams have sort of spaced similar area mm. of England so it's more easy to sort of swap teams but I don't think I've ever sort of looked at it as whether the team just needs to become one a bit more unified yeah perhaps that'll be something let's that face it it can't hurt them anymore than no. they already are hurting so maybe it's an idea mm. we'll have to wait and see um that rather wraps up that sort of side of how the teams performed. There is one sort of, a few more elements that I want to talk over. And one of them crucially is, we've already touched on it, uh, more Brundle-based chaos on the grid walk. And there's been a lot of interesting points come out of this. This isn't the first time we've seen some sort of, not necessarily fracker come out of the grid walk, but it's certainly something that's interesting and worth discussing. Um, and I don't think you should have to give an in-depth interview. You can politely decline and it is a bit much to expect people to know who Martin Brundle is. It's easy to forget as a Brit who watches the Sky coverage and enjoys the history of the sport, but not everyone, and certainly not celebrities with quite probably busy lives, might not quite be as aware of me as the number two finisher at the 1994 Monaco Grand Prix as everyone else. It's it's like going to a different country, wandering into someone else's news channel and then being expected to know who the news host is. You're not going to know it off the top of your head unless it's someone internationally famous for the wrong reasons. Tucker Carlson on Fox, for example. Um, and it's worth bearing in mind that she was there as a guest of Alfa Romeo and a representative of the team did approach Mundle first. That's the person we see sort of in the Alfa Romeo shirt sort of go to Martin there um, and ask him not to do it, which I think when two people have turned you down and explicitly told you no, you should probably take no to mean no. Again, it feels bad that we're trying to explain that in 2023, but when someone clearly representing a Formula One team has asked you not to, that should probably be your first line when she sort of politely smiles, shakes her head and sort of goes, no. And then sort of does that. I can't hear you. It's the same way you sort of do it politely in a busy room when you don't want to make conversation with someone. 
that should be your pretty clear sign to say no. I know that mine has someone in his ear saying, go speak to this person, go speak to this person, go speak to this person. One key person he did miss on doing that grid walk was Nicola Adams. She was recently announced as the new Alpine sports and coach for their young drivers, basically. She's been brought in as a sports personality, a female representative to train up the girls that they're hoovering up through their new karting campaign and to give them a chance to sort of get physical education, to get sporting, sort of basically train them to be athletes she would have been a fantastic person to go and interview to sort of call her and go Nicola great to see you on the grid tell us more about the new Alpine thing this seemed like a very odd direction from the Sky TV coverage I don't think the blame here fully lies with Martin and it certainly doesn't lie with Cara Delevingne on this one or Alfa Romeo this comes from someone in his ear and the problem with much of this is that we're all discussing it from within the very toxic at times sphere of Formula One. As British F1 enjoys, we'd feel honoured and love to have our 15 seconds of fame should Martin Brundle thrust a microphone under our nose and go, are you looking forward to the British Grand Prix? You're here with this team. What do you think about this? I, for one, would be ecstatic about that happening. I know most of our listeners would be, and I should think you two would be quite excited should that happen to you at some point. And it's you've got to distance yourself and think of this as a more casual fan as someone who's simply been invited along to enjoy a weekend of a sport that you sort of vaguely dabble with Cara Delevingne likes motorsport we've seen her at Formula E before she's been at a Formula One events before but there's no reason that you should be impulsed to give an interview and equally there's no reason that you should really feel quite so strongly if you are just a casual fan and don't get me wrong, I enjoy the frenzy of Martin bumbling around, interviewing people, getting Jackie Stewart to fetch Roger Federer for him. That's great. That's funny. But there is a ceiling to that. And Ted's notebook, I will say this, this is Ted's notebook is basically the same thing with how Ted and whatever faceless camera goon he's got with him get in the way and snap up people for interviews and just sort of cause chaos. And it's all done after the race. You often get him chatting with very interesting people, getting in the way of teams trying to pack up after a race. It's stressful. It's busy. But Ted has never upset anyone. No one's ever written articles for online publications going rah, 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 fracker caused chaos insults flowing around on Twitter because Ted got in the way with Ted's notebook and again both directed by Sky TV coverage both very experienced presenters doing basically the same style of TV presentation and it's just interesting that one can be done without causing these sort of issues funny enough this has both happened twice with Martin Brundle being forced to interview a female on the grid and both times the internet has had a very similar reaction about it which i think says a lot more than it really ought to about the people that enjoy formula one and voice their opinions on the internet i falling into that exact same sphere i'm not dumb enough to miss that the brundle clause simply prevents bodyguards from being on the grid everyone goes oh but the brundle clause means he, they have to talk to him no the brundle clause simply prevents bodyguards from being on the grid it's a safe secure location you do not need a bodyguard at that point in time this was proven at the u.s grand prix in 2021 i think it would have been and nothing that happened on sunday violated that clause I'd simply ask the producers at Sky to rein in the grid walk a little. It's fun, but it is beginning to leave a sour taste in the mouth when we have these clashes. And equally, as fun as it is to have a bit of fracas on the grid when you have drivers that don't want to talk, that's fine. They're trying to get in the headspace ahead of a race. I don't think it's fair to be laying into Cara Delevingne or Alfa Romeo on Twitter because that really is not the answer. Timo. I'm going to not attack. That's the, definitely the wrong word. Reply. That's the word I was going for. To a couple of bits there because agree with the last bit, don't need to have it out on Twitter. Stupid. Get rid of Twitter anyway. Get rid of a lot of it. Stupid. Um, and Sky, yeah, maybe they need to sort out their stuff. But I didn't see any of mine's grid work because I was watching the infinitely better coverage on Channel 4 that was a lot more fun with DC and Mark. 
And it is one of those things where I feel, I get where you're coming from, but I also think that these celebs are privileged to be on the grid and everyday folk who have spent thousands on the sport will never get onto the grid. And the people that are being talked to in this case, Cara, people know them, they want to hear from them. And even if you don't have to do an in-depth interview, Jesus, no, you don't want that from casual celebrity fans anyway, but you could just have something where it's, oh, I just hope everyone have, has fun because or something really blase and bland as that and then just move on and be fine but i do don't think that if you're on the grid you've got to be prepared to be interviewed because that's just what happened in the history or you need to be prepared for that even if it's just one line it's not going to kill you um so i, I think they, they people have an interest in them they want to hear from them and also originally go there is to be seen so why not be heard as well and have just a sound bite on something literally say hello what you're doing some of the usual crap you think Lewis is going to win, you think Max is going to win, and that's your job done, and you don't have to have any of this course result. I do think it's maybe Sky as well going a little bit, because obviously mine's just doing a little bit of what he's being told in his ear, and he because he's got to rely on whoever's talking to him. But I think if you're going onto the grid in the first place, how hard is it for an F1 representative with the team, or F1 in general, to say, if this and this person comes up to you, we're going to have to just do a quick line to them. Nothing major. Don't worry. It's not going to be a full-blown sit-down 60-minute interview or anything like that. Just say, I hope everyone has fun and be done with it. Because how hard is that, really? But equally, I... no means no. You shouldn't have to. You're there for fun. You're there to simply enjoy the race. And this has happened before. You're when fine, I tried but to... you're a celebrity. You kind of sacrifice a little bit of that by being there in the first place. But they're still you're human. You're not an everyday joke. Yeah, and but, fine. And when I've interviewed people at Goodwood at racing events, when I go up to them and try and get sort of a quote, something for the press, I'm doing very much the same thing. If they say, oh, I haven't got the chance, or I'd rather not, that's a no. And you simply walk away. You go, no, that's fine. Have a great day. And you walk on. You don't make a snide comment. You don't cause a situation. Yeah, but you're not Martin Brundle. No, but it's the same situation. It's going up to someone. Usually, I've done this sort of going up to touring car drivers when they've been sort of racing and feature races at Goodwood. You go up to them and go, oh, can I get a quick quote? Or can I grab a few photos or something for an article? And if they go, yeah, sure, fine. And you get chatting with them, that's fine. If they say no, you walk away. It is not the end of the world. And Sky producers really need to... Well, I think it definitely got blown out of proportion in this instance because of the whole Twitter and Sky and everything. But it could have all been avoided with a simple thing. But it's not like... He's asked someone who has never been interviewed before and has no kind of idea of this could have possibly happened and it's the worst thing in the world. And I don't see what would have been wrong with just saying a couple of simple words. Yes, maybe you shouldn't have to, but also no one asked you to be on the grid in the first place. And as you say, people who actually are proper fans of F1 and are there to support it, we'd all be very happy to do it. And even some people, I mean, I can't remember the football manager's name because I don't watch it. Don't care, but yeah, him. DC and Mark had a quick word with him. You could tell he was just there because Toto invited him and knew absolutely nothing at all. A couple of words from him, sorted, end of story. No problem. It's not that difficult. And if you're a celebrity, you've got to be prepared for that. I think if it's a normal everyday person, then fine, because what are you doing there anyway? Fair enough, private, leave it alone. But in this instance, it got blown a lot out of proportion and we shouldn't have had to deal with that anyway because it's just unnecessary and now it makes it all seem a million times worse than it is. But just... It's not the worst thing in the world even just say a couple of words and be done. Ellie May? I think for me, it's about looking how at how respect goes both ways. Ozzy, those that have been invited to an F1 weekend 
I guess need to, in some respect, need to understand their privilege and that there are thousands of F1 fans that will never attend an F1 race because of the expense. So if you are there or ask for an interview and you don't want to do one, there's no need to be rude about it. You can politely decline. And Carla Delevingne did. She did politely decline. She said, like, no, no, please, like, not please, but she just said, like, no, and sort of looked very awkward about it when she then got pushed. And it's... On the other side, we shouldn't automatically think that stars have to give an interview. No matter who you are, boundaries should be respected. No means no. The first no should always be accepted rather than pushing it. And just because someone's a celebrity, at the end of the day, they are a human being. And this is their time off, technically. And they're just there to sort of have fun. So... And now sort of she's been she's gone to have fun and it's sort of now been she's now being attacked and it's I should point out I don't agree with her being attacked for it at all. It's all absolutely stupid that she's getting the crap that she's getting for it because it's not like she's done a thing massively wrong either. And it's just something where I think the internet's just blown it way out of proportion. I think it, at the end of the day, I think regardless of who you are you're deserving of your privacy, even if you're at a public event or occasion. Like Celebrities want to go to do events and attend things all the time. They want to go to concerts and just simply enjoy it for what it is. At that point, they're under no obligation to be a performing monkey for you. They're at that point not being paid to star in a movie, to sing you a song or to be on stage. They're there in the same aspect as any other person is who's paid to have paddock passes, who's paid to have that sort of experience. Just because money hasn't exchanged hands, they do not owe you anything. They're simply there to be an interesting face. That does not mean they're there to have an interesting comment to go with it. And to that extent, I think they are owed their privacy. I agree. We'll move on from that, however, to the more interesting and just as discussion-based section of winners and spinners. And Ellie May, I'm going to let you open up with your winner, please. I have gone for McLaren. I mean, it is a sensational weekend for the team. Both drivers were strong all weekend. Lando taking the lead at the Grand Prix at the start. And I was thinking, did Charles lead the start the sprint? Did he get in Baku? Sorry. Yeah, for a lap. And then got him. So Lando now has to be the driver who's led a race the most that isn't in a red ball uh yes this season certainly yeah 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 this season and you know even then when max overtook him lando and not um piastri both kept within drs range of that red ball for a fairly long time and then both drivers were also able to cover the mercedes at the restart with a very tight battle between hamilton and norris but norris kept his cool and maintained his position i guess the only slightly gutting thing is Ozzy Piastri lucked out with the safety car um, as he pitted sort of a few laps before it came out, meaning Lewis got the jump on him. Piastri thoroughly deserved that podium, but it'll no doubt come. He's early in his career, got his whole career ahead of him, and it'll only be sweeter for him when he does. And McLaren essentially doubled their constructors' point this weekend too. They were on 29 points and they scored 30 more. So pretty sensational from the team and it kind of reminded me of during a 
I think it was a Twitch stream or a stream anyway, when Charles Charles Leclerc was like, Lando, we can be world champion, I said. It just sort of reminded me of that. Yeah, there's a, there's a, it also reminded me of the Twitch stream where Lando was attacked by a hornet because there's that brilliant bit in the post-race interview where he tries to punch a bee. And yeah. Any normal person would have simply spotted it away, but he goes sort of full closed fist punch. He's, I don't know, he's a kooky character, but I, I absolutely agree with you on the um, the side that Piastri, that win will come, that podium will come. It, he's so early on in his career and it will come. And there's some interesting parallels between um, Oscar Piastri's sort of the reasons why he falls under that McLaren bracket certainly going in as a winner a fantastic drive hugely deserving defending and attacking against Max Verstappen in the opening laps of a Grand Prix and a, a home race for your team that is absolutely fantastic um, it ties in neatly uh, Piastri's sort of positives to my winner which is Logan goddamn Sargent There is a really good racing driver in Logan Sargent and it is coming to the fore very quickly. And when you look at how he and Piastri had their weekend, they were both uh, legacy teams that have all of a sudden gotten good. They're sat next to drivers for whom this is pretty much their home race. Obviously, Lando, it's his home race. He drives under the British flag for Alex. He's British-born Thai driver, um, but very much a home race for him. So both of them are sat alongside esteemed co-drivers at their co-drivers home races and both of them did not succumb to the pressure both of them performed fantastically and both of them against far more senior drivers were really putting the moves in on track and i i think it would be easy for a lot of people to overlook logan's drive this weekend because he didn't score points from it but that would be quite silly to do he drove fantastically and is truly deserving of points after that i think it was it's a matter of time again until we get to another circuit where that Williams is really suited to it. He's got his feet under the table. He's comfortable with the chassis. I think Silverstone was a great place for him to, with the runoffs that are available at the circuit, to sort of go, okay, no, I've got faith in this car and really find the limits of what it can do and can start to chase down Albon when it comes to getting performance from it. So it's, yeah, it's very much for me, Logan Sargent, a winner. Kind of echoing that as well with my winner of Albon, it was quite interesting to see not just their performance in practice, but then throughout the entire weekend going off what we were talking about in our preview episode where Albon was dismissing Silverstone and Budapest as tracks where they would be competitive and be able to even fight for points and saying Spa would be the next realistic opportunity for it and that immediately goes out the window. And they were kind of scratching their heads about it, but not too much and definitely not complaining about it at all. And whilst Logan's performance should not be overlooked at all, Albon in P8 in the end, wasn't it? He was getting Williams' best result at the British Grand Prix since 2015, if I'm remembering correctly. Sounds about so right. it was just something mad with that, and it does seem like it's... I hope that's not a flash in the pan either, and if this is what they're doing on a track where they weren't expecting to be competitive, I'm looking forward to Spa now, so let's hope something crazy can happen there and Gosh, damn, my world prediction is going to have to be pretty damn wild, and I really want it to come true now. Um, but yeah, Albon and Piastri, kind of echoing what Ali May was saying, deserves a shout-out as well, because it'd be silly to overlook Piastri for a P4, because if you told us that Piastri was going to get P4 at Silverstone less than a month ago, we'd have been looking at you very funny and maybe booking you an appointment in the local mental institution to get your house self looked at. 
Okay, what well, I will quickly follow up. This is something I was saving actually for later in the podcast. Was but I'll, I'll mention it now. Is at our big at the beginning of the year we did our season predictions, and I asked everyone to name their drivers who will score a podium this year. Um, you both put down. Uh, no, Timo, you put down Oscar Piastri. You did not put down Lando Norris. Ellie May, you did not put down My Lando faith Norris in Piastri. <laughs> I mean, we'll put down. Lando Norris. I did not put down Oscar Piastri. You a safe option there is what I'm hearing. Ellie May and I decided we, we like this Oscar chap. He, he can go far. Well, Ellie May didn't pick Piastri. Oh, she didn't? Never mind. I decided that I, I, I like our boy Oscar and I believe he can do it. I essentially thought it'd be a dull year and went for, I think, both the Red Bulls, both the Ferraris, maybe the Mercedes. Was that uh, literally it? Both the Ferraris. Um, you both the Red Bulls, correct? Um, Alonso, uh, both Mercedes, Ocon, and Hulkenberg. Have I gone for any other mad ones? Uh, Bottas and Albon. Albon looks more likely. I thought I might have put Ricardo in there for a cheekiness, but no. Uh, the, Ricardo came in as your, um, I think he was like one of your wild predictions of uh, he just comes in halfway through or something, but yeah. yeah. Um, so you yeah. will have both lost a point for not predicting a Lando Norris podium as well. Well, not lost a point, just didn't gain one. No, I'm doing because I'm scoring this as negatives as well, where you had the option to say something. You didn't tell us that at the beginning of the year, otherwise we would have made some very different decisions and said over 20 drivers. Yeah, but then obviously the drivers that you picked that never got podiums had also lost points for, so it's well, a double-edged system at all, and I just demand a recount. You're going to love it when we get to the end of the year. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. I don't fantastic. think I am. But yeah, it's Pia- like QI where we all just are on minuses. There is a very real chance people will be finishing this year on minus points. Um, I've been keeping. You say people? Do you mean you? Uh, no, I'm doing all right. I don't have any red predictions against my name. Jacob, however, already has um, a red, a couple of red predictions against his name. Obviously, n- predicting neither Lando Norris nor Ocon to get podiums, and he also predicted Alpha Tauri would be sold by Red Bull. Something that they have said. Well, still time. They have said there is no buyer for it, and they said they won't be selling it. There's still time. Close, though, in that it's sort of having a rebrand. It's having a rebrand, but it's still being owned by the same still people. Still some months in the year, though. Fraser, though, did get already very, very early one of his three wild predictions of Alonso multiple podiums, so congratulations to him for that one. Ooh, um, yeah, which seemed like a really far-out idea for um, the season. Depends if we had testing or not by the time we asked him. Uh, we had not. Aston this was Martin, all done pre-testing. Did I put Aston Martin third? Uh, you did, know. yes. Oh. Red Bull, Ferrari, Aston Martin, Mercedes, Alpine, Haas, McLaren, Alfa Romeo, Fatari, Williams. Not doing well there. Like at the end of the year. Yeah, we'll get back to all this at the end of the year. It's certainly going to be an interesting one. Um, back to our winners and spinners, and we'll shuffle into our spinners section. Timo, we'll let you carry on your spinner. Got to be Haas, really, doesn't it? I mean, they've got their whole thing just backwards. Do really well in qualifying, then forget how to do a race. Car goes boom. Hulkenberg driving the ass off the car and doing arguably a lot better in it than he should do, but still not able to get anywhere, unfortunately. And K Mag probably wondering why on earth he came back to Haas in the first place and thinking I should have stayed in IndyCar. So, or wherever it was he was racing in. 
IMSA. Maybe he should have gone to speak out instead. He would have had a better time if the MBT made some again because they are just looking dismal at the moment. And I do not know what they've got to do to swap things over a bit for them. Maybe just a complete change entirely. Who knows? Um, but it's just... what? Well, come on, Hess. Do better. I think the main issue really is that they overcook their tyres so early, kind of almost similar to what Ferrari um, does. But it's like you look at the fight between sort of Hulkenberg and Magnussen, you see that Hulkenberg's got quite a few more points than Magnussen. And you think, looking at how the season goes, that's pretty fair on performance. Whilst you sort of then contrast that with the Williams, whilst uh, Alvin has all the points, doesn't he? Sargent doesn't have any. Alvin as a constructor is seventh, yeah. <laughs> but it's not representative of how well Sargent has done. He's done pretty well this season. He's been very consistent and he's slowly getting better, whilst Magnussen with the Haas has just sort of been a bit of a, a lull, really. Yeah, it's been a bit of a slump, really, from them. Um Anyway, we'll stick with you and your commentary for your spinner. Alpine. I mean, they just can't catch a break, can they? Um, I mean, their upgrades didn't make much of an impact, whether that's because it's Silverstone and it's a high-speed track and it was more focused on low-speed cornering, which Silverstone has a couple of corners, but not that many of. Um, But anyway, sort of, Gasly was sort of dangling in, sort of in and out the top 10 before he got strolled and then was forced to retire. And Ozzy Ocon had a hydraulic issue and retired as well, which Ozzy leaves Alpine with no points and their closest rival McLaren taking 30 points home just sort of adds salt to the wound. I think they are getting, they are having a few more upgrades in the coming weeks. So looking forward, hopefully they can get back in the game. But now they've got a huge catch up to do if they want to um, overtake McLaren in the Constructors' Championship. I think this will be the lowest if they stay there. This will be the lowest that they've finished in quite a, in a few years, isn't it? I'm beginning to suspect that Otmar may have gotten Alonso's curse of making bad career choices because he leaves Aston Martin to go to Alpine and kind of takes the curse kind of a la that how many mother so and he's now the blitz and he just gets all the bad luck to go with them and meanwhile Alonso's like finally I'm free and can get the success from it because Alpine it just for a team that we were kind of very much looking forward to seeing what they were doing this year they've just been if it wasn't for Alfa Romeo they would be Alfa Romeo in terms of eh they're there, I guess, and they're not really doing much. And compare that to the last few years where they've been slowly on the up and up, it's very just bland and disappointing. Alpine don't seem so checked out as Alfa Romeo. I think they're definitely still trying no, for no. it. They've I'm saying if Alfa Romeo weren't there, then it would be looking like that. Yeah, they've just had some very unfortunate luck, especially when you consider the likes of Australia, where they lost out on what would have been some decent points because of absolute chaos on a restart. Um, That's the Stuart's fault. Yeah, when you look at this again, where in reality, Gasly could have been on for a decent position towards the end of the race, possibly a point or two, possibly nipping at the heels of the Ferraris, but again, wiped out because of Lance Stroll. So, yeah, yeah, this is very much a case of bad luck hampering Alpine. It's certainly nothing that they've really done that's become a struggle for them they've developed the car they've kept pace with most of the field they've not necessarily slipped back I mean for the early part of the season they were but it does seem it's more McLaren. kind of we're here to be we're doing enough to 
stay afloat but not to actually swim anywhere yeah they're not making any progress they're simply sort of they're keeping pace with the treadmill they're not moving forwards or backwards unfortunately um meanwhile my spinner is ferrari and when you're being outpaced by a williams i don't think that's any an insult anymore really calling something a williams no no offense williams yeah no offense williams it's no longer even offensive um i yeah outpaced by Albon and the Williams losing out essentially on points to the constructors every week. They seem to be drifting further and further away from that battle for third. And if things keep going the way they are, I wouldn't be surprised if we see McLaren overtake them towards the end of the season. It's going to be an interesting constructors battle for fourth at that point. So definitely want to keep an eye on there. They haven't been able to develop that car any better. So it works nicely with its tyres. All it does is obliterates them early on and leaves drivers sort of fighting to try and keep them alive. Just an upgraded Haas. Yeah, it's very much the Haas issue of car eats its tyres, then what? And there was a point where they were looking at like a two-stop strategy and you're going, that is, unless you're doing the soft, medium, soft, that is not going to be the fastest way around this circuit, I'm afraid. So, yeah, not a good weekend to be Ferrari. Do we have any other drivers to mention? But I feel like we've already sort of touched on them very much with sort of team recap and the progress. I don't really think so. Um, I guess Hamilton did well. I was going to say, Hamilton for a 14th British Grand Prix podium, because that just seems ridiculous. He's only not been on the podium for three years of his entire career there. Yeah. It's pretty good going, and I think that's definitely worth kudos to it, certainly. And, yeah, I think he had a good weekend of it, and he seems happy as well. That's one thing I really like to see, is he's not put out... He said he's not fussed about where he finishes this year. He's just about developing the car forward and really enjoying himself. And you saw that with the sprint in Austria in particular. It's like, this doesn't matter anyway, who cares? And just goes around and has fun. It's like karting. It's the right attitude to have for that when you know you're not in in the big fight. He's back to enjoying the sport and I really like that for him. And I know that that's certainly going to be sort of a fantastic thing for him for his mental health as well as he sort of works forwards looking to rebuild for another championship charge. Mercedes has said they'd like to give him that eighth championship and I th- he's definitely hungry for it. He's almost certainly hungry for it, but I think he's got to wait and he knows that at this point he needs to spend that year building a car that is going to do it. Would be like a bold prediction. You're going to say Hamilton for 2025, aren't you? Mm, nothing is as mediocre a prediction as that, Jesse. Nothing like that at all. No, Mercedes, they do their best. They can't get it sorted in time. And he decides, let's gamble everything. And he not only moves to this team, I'm about to say, for 2026, but he wins the championship with them straight away. And that oh. is Williams. Oh, Williams. Oh, 2026. Mm-hmm. just bang on straight with the regulations at the box does a 2014 has a nice bit of a battle with whoever his teammate is and then goes on and wins and then drives into the sunset I'd love to see that happen I'm telling you now I would I'd be happy to see that happen um, hmm, interesting yeah I'll find a natural segue no that's that's rather throwing me for a loop um We'll move into our predictions review and it's two points this week for Timo and Ellie May for predicting a max pole and a max win and one point for me for just predicting a max pole. I got a bit greedy with that. Oh, well. um, but hey. Now have a win and a fastest lap. What, who, what was that? Sorry? Do I now have a win and a fastest lap in terms of 
like points do i now win a race and get the fastest lap uh yeah you've got 26 points so a race win and a fastest lap correct nice. correct um timo's on nine so that's 26 points for Ellie may 19 for timo 10 for me i finally hit double figures though so we're well getting somewhere slowly golf clap for you Polite, polite golf applause. Um, speaking of polite golf applause, lots of nice applause and cheering at Silverstone over the weekend. The roar for Lando Norris when he had provisional pole was immense. Um, second only to the. You Bruce. just don't get that on the on any other racetrack. No. I don't think. Just if, don't. It was second only to the booze of the very wealthy people being driven around on the back of low loader lorries um, in the same way they do the drivers' parade. We, uh, the, which I feel like is is fair. Yeah, people with more money than sense at that point um, being booed. Now, hasn't it? At every race, they'll give yeah. a huge cheer to like anything that's like the like teams based, but anything that's like the rich people that have sort of paid to be on a lorry, they get booed. Um, it was great because then immediately afterwards they're followed by road sweepers that basically sweep the circuit and make sure it's sort of clear and ready to go they get an enormous cheer all the guys driving the street sweepers are sort of honking horns and sort of waving out the window and getting everyone hyped up seconds before that we've been booing the ultra rich so i think that's that's a great sign that england is and still remains firmly based we'll move on from that to our constructors countdown it's Alpha Tauri on just two points. Alpha Romeo drop another place in the standings this week, down to ninth. Ahead by only two points is Haas in eighth and tying on points, but ahead on countback, it's Williams in seventh. If the season wrapped now, this would be the team's best finish since 2017, where they finished fifth. Alpine drops one place to sixth this week after a double retirement to Silverstone. Meanwhile, a podium and a P4 for McLaren season climbed to fifth, 12 points ahead of Enstone. Ferrari, despite a decent Austrian, again fall away from Aston Martin in third, 181 points, plays 157. Mercedes, after a decent race on Sunday, pull away from customer team Aston Martin as they crest the 200-point mark, but far ahead surpassing 400 points with 411 it's Red Bull though it's worth noting that Max Verstappen would be a number one constructor on his own nicely as it can do into our F1 fantasy review Silverstone wise just for Silverstone we have joint P1 with Argan Lacresse with 237 points apiece Francesco Rhodes then in P2, essentially, with 234 points. Fairly total for the three of us for the race itself, which is an unusual change. Jack uh, Racing, joint P6 with 215 points. On the curbs, P8 with 211 points. And EMT Racing, P9 with 201 points. I Again. was absolutely appalled by that at my own score. So I've, I've made... Do better, that- anyway. I've made drastic changes. Bottas and Nick de Vries have got the cut. I've now got both. Why did you not cut them after last week when I beat you in the race already once? Um, Was that not a bad enough wake-up call? Well, I just, I kept meaning to do it and just kept forgetting. I've been meaning to do it possibly for about over a month now. And that was was the tipping point. And I was like, yeah, I'm not having it. They're out. I've got both McLarens in now. I really hope they both get top 10 finishes. <laughs> I've also made some changes. I've ditched Alpine where I can and uh, bought in other drivers and constructors because uh, confidence is waning, let's say. I was just glad that my gamble on Piastri at the start of the year finally paid off. 
but yeah, yeah. I don't know if I want to change anyone now because I'm like, you're all good, but you just change from weekend to weekend. So I'm not sure if I should leave it or mm. overall, anyway. Argus still P1 with 3,023 points. Francesco Rose P2 with 3,013 points. Alex H9V2 rounding out the top three with 2,966 points. Nid Beds is P8 with 200, well, not 200, 2,559 points. EMT Racing still P9, but Better P9 than previously with 2,553 points. And I'm in P12 with 2,269 points, doing a very slow but surely kind of move up the table. And Experiments Underdog is in P33 still with 737 points. So, you know, watch out. But yeah, that, that very neatly wraps up um, this week's episode. That's very much all we've got time for. Thank you very much for listening. Um, in the meanwhile, we'll, we'll be back. Uh, we've got a feeder series review from the British Grand Prix to come out. And we'll be out later next week with a preview for the Hungarian Grand Prix, won't we? And in the meantime, there are plenty of fantastic photographs from Silverstone on our social media accounts. And there'll be plenty coming out from Goodwood's Festival of Speed as well, because I know both Ellie Mae and I will be there for the... I'll be there on the Thursday and Friday. I know Ellie Mae is there on the Friday as well. So if you do see us, say hello, give us a wave. Again, no merch. We haven't got merch yet. But say hello. We're nice. We don't bite. You can bring the merch if you want. We'll happily take. We it. will sign merch if you bring it to us. If or you sign have, it. I'm not sure we're quite there yet. But if someone's like custom made an undercut podcast T-shirt, I will gladly sign it. Yeah. Henry yeah. from the that hashtag. We're looking I, at you there. I met him actually on Saturday at um, Silverstone. Did he have customized merch? He's the one I'd reckon would do it. Of all, of all of the people we know, listen. Yeah, he's had his customized Hass um, cowboy hat and his foot in a boot because he broke his leg um because he's a clever boy um but hey well, he sports has so of course he's clever <laughs> can't insult the people that listen to this podcast team where we need more than 23 subscribers on spotify <laughs> um in the meantime though timo where can the people find you you can find me over on the curbs is it fast paddock sorority and the nitro rx podcast where we have a very fun interview coming out soon with one of the drivers from the baja buggies category it's so much fun imagine eating off essentially a, a vw beetle off what is this pretty much a hot wheels track and just going for it and then breaking your car by accelerating too much and your foot's going through the accelerator that does sound like a good bit of fun ellie may where can the people find you uh, you can find me doing the graphics on Instagram or my track guides, or you can find me on TikTok where I will be getting stuff out from Goodwood. And like Jesse said, if you see us, not that you know what we look like really, unless you want to stalk us on Instagram, um, come say hi. I may even be nice and have a picture with you. Oh, you would be so lucky. I um, know. Not you though, Jesse. <laughs> oh. um, yeah, and if you want more from me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram as at Jesse on Cars. And I suppose we ought to plug Threads as well. The podcast is on Threads, if that ever really takes off. Um, and you can Fastest also find... growing up in history, Jesse. Yeah, um, we're all to, the podcast still remains on Twitter and Instagram as well. But you can find me across all of them and the podcast across all of them. Um, I'm also on YouTube. Haven't posted anything new on there, but I keep promising that I will. And if you really want something interesting, pick up the latest issue of Classic Car Weekly because I am in that. And Timo, what have you been drinking? Uh, a nice Chianti. Just nice. out the box. Has life got that bad? No, it's that good. 
It's a nice Chianti on a Monday evening. What's gone? What's gone right for me is what you should be asking. Did you have it with liver beans, liver and some fava beans? That is the real question. I couldn't possibly comment. Mm. We'll report back on that later. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back for. Uh, are you showing me your drink as well, Annie May? I've just got a pint of water and a cider glass that we um, got free from a pub because they were giving them away because they were no longer do, make um, having that cider company. Oh, interesting. I do not have a drink. I'm, in fact, just very thirsty um, in general. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back for the Hungarian Grand Prix. What the fuck is a color?